This episode does contain some content that might be disturbing for some audience members. Listener discretion is advised. Alright, welcome back to our episode of Yes, That Actually Happened, where we are, of course, Erin and... Hi, I'm Jay. Normally you say my name, so I wasn't ready for that. (laughs) And we are excited to bring you more Weird But True History. If you enjoy this episode, stay tuned to the end of the episode to see how you can support the show and learn about next week's topic. Also, don't forget to listen to Jay's other podcast, High School Author Wannabe. Yes, we have a lot of fun over there, and it'll be a good refresher after this episode. Now, I came up with this topic randomly recently. I was reading a book called Alive, the Story of the Andes Survivors. Cannibalism. Is that the... Soccer team? Rugby team, actually. Ah, I made a guess. I don't know sports. We are going to go into a little bit of background of what it is and some small stories of it happening, and then we're going to focus on the two groups of survivors that had to resort to eating the dead to survive. So, trigger warning. Trigger warning. gross stuff. And I'm eating dinner right now. Yes, because Jay has to eat on every episode. I'm a growing boy. I'm hungry. (laughs) I want to make it clear that we are going into these two different stories and highlighting some of their unique qualities. I am no way making fun of the choices these victims made to do what they did. I can't say for certain that I wouldn't do the same in the situation. Actually, I'm pretty sure in the same situation, I would do the same. I would accept death. You would rather die than get eaten, or you would be like, okay, I will die so you guys can survive. I would die. I would sacrifice myself. Good. We have a point in the stories about that. Okay. So if we ever go on a hike and get lost... You can eat me. Yes. I'll die for that. All of these stories we're going to talk about are pretty well known. I'm going to actually devote an entire episode to address the entire Donner Party, so that's not going to be Mm. a part of today's show. We're going to focus on the Essex ship and the rugby team that were the subject of the book I was reading. Cool. I'm not going to go too deep into any of the stories, but I do highly recommend some of the source material that we'll be recommending on our website because they are pretty interesting tales of survival. Cannibalism is the consumption of the same species. It is often found in the animal kingdom. Even baby sharks will eat their brothers and sisters in the womb. Over 1,500 species have been recorded doing this over the years. It comes out of a Spanish name for the West Indies tribe, Carib which did practice cannibalism. Obviously, some of these historical instances might have been incorrect or a little embellished over the years. However, it has happened on almost every continent. I have another comment. Is that in the Pirates of the Caribbean movie? Is that the tribe that they're kind of talking about? I, have you never seen them? I've seen it, but I mean, it's I haven't didn't they're pay that much attention. They're around that area. And then they go, they get lost on an island. And then there's a tribe that wants to eat them and does eat them. I, them. I don't know if it's specifically based on that or if it's just highlighting sometimes different islands had that happen. Okay. It's not important. It's just something that came to my mind. So interesting fact, this can be seen on an episode of the television show Bones. Mm. You can eat any part of a human body and there are quite a lot of calories in a thigh if you need to. However, you cannot technically eat another person's brain. No, you'll go crazy. Yes, eating enough human brains will give you the human version of mad cow disease, which has no cure, and you will lose control of your brain, body, and life. I feel like the brain isn't even what you'd want to go for. Probably not. I'd go for the liver or the kidneys. Hmm. Nutrition. Or like, I think, maybe your eyeballs. I read a story once about this guy who ate fish eyeballs for the vitamins in them. 
I don't know if I could do that. Mm-mm. I couldn't. That's why I would sacrifice myself. <laughs> I don't want to live with that trauma. You can just eat me. It's fine. Cannibalism has happened outside of disasters, usually where there's a lack of nutritional food source, such as long famines. Mm-hmm. It also could be ritualistic or just crazy serial killers. Mm-hmm. I also want to state that this is not just a historical thing. There has been recent, as in less than 20 years ago, a British model was imprisoned for it. I didn't really go into all the details since it wasn't really historical-based, but still happens. Um, yeah, I'm looking that up. You can't... I can't handle that. Also, back in the old days, mummies were sometimes ground into a powder for medicine, so kind of a form of cannibalism. And don't worry, we will do a future episode digging into the weird history that is medicine. Now, for our disasters where survivors resorted to cannibalism to survive. There is a case in 1884, R.V. Dudley and Stevens actually dealt with the issue on whether someone could be tried as a criminal based on the necessity of survival after Dudley and Stevens ate a cabin boy named Richard Parker who had fallen into a coma. So basically killed him to eat him. This also inspired a Monty Python sketch, just to liven <laughs> things up. And The Life of Pi, which is a fantastic fiction book if you hadn't read it, features a tiger named Richard Parker. That's what that's from? Yes, like the book didn't, like, they didn't name it based off of that, but it's kind of a play from the author. Huh, interesting. I saw the movie. I tried Fantastic read, movie as well. I tried to read the book, but I couldn't get through it. So we're going to start on the ocean with the Essex ship. Do you know anything about this at all? The what ship? The Essex ship? No, I do not. It was a whaling ship, and it actually inspired the story of Moby Dick. Oh, okay. It was an American ship from Massachusetts that began its first voyage in 1799. In 1820, the captain George Pollard Jr. and his 20-men crew set around the tail of Africa, the Horn of Mm -hmm. Africa, to hunt whales. Mm -hmm. Side note, whale products. Don't hunt whales. (laughs) Leave them alone. Whale products for their flesh and bones was really popular during this time. I'm not saying I agree with it, but I'm just saying this time was very popular. It was not this time, so yes. Now, the first mate, Owen Chase, was repairing a boat when he saw a sperm whale behaving weird. It stayed very still near the ship, then did some shallow diving until it eventually rammed into the boat, crushing the bow. Hmm. Chase later stated, I turned around and saw him about 100 rods directly ahead of us, coming down with twice his ordinary speed of about 24 knots, and it appeared with tenfold fury and vengeance in his aspect. The surf flew in all directions about him, with a continual violent thrashing of his tail, his head about half out of the water, and in that way he came upon us and again struck the ship. A lot of people actually speculate that it was the hammering that Chase was doing might have caused weird vibrations and confused the whale. Mm, And then maybe after he bumped the boat the first time, got a little upset and hit it again. Yeah. No way to really know, though. I mean, my first thought was maybe he, like, ran into a reef or something and then was like, guys, we have to come up with a story for this because this is embarrassing for all of us. (laughs) Now, this is not the only time a whale has done this kind of thing. There are other attacks throughout history, but this is one of the most famous ones. The last one, I believe, was actually in 1999 in Alaska. Okay. I think one sailor died in the attack. The others made it to three whaleboats, which, best way to describe these, like, Titanic lifeboats, but a little longer. So just this kind of picture what they're sailing on. Just like a lifeboat, but, like, longer? Yeah. Kind of? Okay. Old-fashioned lifeboat. Yeah. So very little supplies, 20 people, three small boats, middle of the ocean. Mm. 
doesn't end well. They did make land on December 20th, Henderson Island, which didn't have anyone living on it, but they were able to gorge themselves on animals, eggs, stuff like that on the island. Mm -hmm. Three men chose to stay, the rest tried to go home. They ate all the food they had stocked from the island, and then Matthew Joy, 20 people sharing all the stuff. Would you have stayed or would you have tried to leave? I don't know. I mean, if it's a small enough island, I feel like eventually the stuff will run out. I feel like your chances of getting back are so slim, especially back then. But at the same time, how likely is it someone's going to find this island? Because I think they thought they were on a different island than they actually were. If there was food there, I probably would have stayed. I think the three that did stay ended up surviving, or at least there were claims later that they survived. I just feel like it'd be easier to survive on an island than it would be to try to get found on a boat, you know? I guess. I guess it depends. Like, if they knew where they were going. Yeah. Matthew Joy, who was the second mate, died. Later, so did Peterson. They were essentially buried at sea after being sewn into their clothes. It was kind of a tradition of what happened if they someone died at sea, got sewn into their clothes, and then, you know, buried at sea. What does that mean? Just sewn into their clothes? Just like... So the clothes stay on, I assume, when they're, like, actually sinking. Oh. I'm assuming. I'm, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't like that word. I'm sorry. The boat of the first mate, Chase, had another man perish on it, a man named Isaac Cole. By this time, the men were at their worst point. No food. They were starving. Mm-hmm. After a lot of discussion, they decided to eat his liver and kidneys. Remember, they're on a boat, so only so much they can do. Mm-hmm. I'm think- giving them this benefit. You're in the sun all day, every day, constantly, so it's going to Probably no water. No water. They're, like, rational about it, and they I like that they discuss it first. A lot of these things, they get disasters, se- do seem to discuss things before they actually do them. I mean, I would, too, because that's, like, such a heavy thing to have on your conscience. Mm-hmm. On February 1st, the captain's boat, which had gotten separated from the others, became desperate. They ended up basically drawing straws to see who the sacrifice would be. This is where you come in. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, don't draw. I'll just die. It's cool. It was a guy named Owen Coffin, who, by the way, was 18 and the captain's cousin. Aww. They killed the young one? I don't think he was the youngest on board, but one of the young ones, yeah. Oh, that's sad. They also did the same thing to see who would be the one to kill him. Because also a pretty heavy thing to put on someone's conscience. Very true. I guess there was no way to, like, kill yourself on the boat. Later on, another person named Ray also died on the ship, and between those two, they were able to survive until they were rescued. Hmm. There were accounts written about this disaster. The first mate, Chase, wrote the narrative of the most extraordinary and distressing shipwreck of the whale ship Essex. There is a movie starring Chris Hemsworth as Chase called In the Heart of the Sea. Hmm. Again, Herman Melville also based this on his story Moby Dick. That's interesting. I don't remember that part of Moby Dick, though. <laughs> I don't think I've read Moby Dick. I watched the movie once. It, it was a really long time. <laughs> it took forever. Now, moving on, this was known as the Andes flight disaster because it occurred when the plane was crossing the Andes. It was a smaller chartered plane that carried 19 members of a rugby team as well as their friends and family who were going to watch them play. Mm-hmm. They left the Uruguay and intended to arrive in Chile to play. There was 1972, and out of the 45 passengers and crew who took off, only 16 would survive after 70 days on the Andes. Honestly, that's, like, more than I would expect. 
I agree. Especially, it's still sad, but I agree. It's definitely more than I would have guessed. And they're in a plane, right? Mm-hmm. Especially with like a plane crash. While there was a search team initially looking for the plane, it's the Andes, lots of snow. They just never saw the white plane. Poor color choice. <laughs> The rugby team was the Old Christians Club, which was an amateur team. It was October 13th, 1972, when an ex- inexperienced co-pilot brought the plane too low after he mixed up where he was. This drop in altitude at the wrong time allowed the plane to clip the mountains. Mm. Out of the 45 original people on the plane, only 27 survived the crash. It's like half. None of the crew survived, and some of the people were thrown from the plane in the air. Ooh. I think the majority of the people who did survive were the actual team themselves. Since they assumed they would be rescued shortly, they were initially not worried. They cleared the debris out of the plane and tempted to tend to those with the worst wounds and console and calm those they knew would have fatal injuries. Mm-hmm. They huddled in the plane for warmth at night, which obviously very difficult considering they had some had to be laid out due to their injuries. You know, there was a lot of crying, sadness, mm-hmm. hard to sleep. They also had very little food that was rationed out since it was a short plane trip. Eight chocolate bars, a tin of almonds, some mussels, a few things of jam, dates, candies, dried plums, and some wine. I would be the perfect person to bring because I bring so many snacks whenever I go anywhere. And just in case anyone wants to know, travel with Jay. Travel with me. I've got lots of snacks and you can eat me if we get shipwrecked. I'm just saying, though, that's not enough for one person 70 days, much less all of them. Yeah. For example, one of them ate only a chocolate-covered peanut for three days. Like one? Like one. I guess, I think you can last like two weeks without food. Yes, but you're also in like freezing temperatures. I'm not saying probably you're happy injuries. about it. I'm saying you can. <laughs> they also melted snow for water. See, that part is not lucky for them, but at least they had water all around them. <laughs> Now, besides the large number of inner injuries, both fatal and non-fatal, again, like we were just talking about, none of them were really dressed for this kind of weather because yeah, you they don't really weren't expect- expecting to be. No, you expect to be in what, chilly? Yeah. But they ended up being a little chilly. <laughs> You're terrible. <laughs> While like many survivor groups, they tried to eat what was around them, the lack of vegetation that left parts of the plane, they eventually decided to discuss the idea of cannibalism. I don't think there really is any food to eat in the Andes. This was what one of the survivors had to say. He was one of the ones who eventually went to get help. Mm -hmm. Our common goal was to survive, but what we lacked was food. We had long since run out of the meager pickings we found on the plane, and there was no vegetation or animal life to be found. After just a few days, we were feeling the sensation of our own bodies consuming themselves to just remain alive. Before long, we would become too weak to recover from starvation. We knew the answer, but it was terrible to contemplate. The bodies of our friends and teammates preserved outside in the snow and ice contained a vital life-giving protein that could help us survive. But could we do it? For a long time, we agonized. I went out in the snow and prayed to God for guidance. Without his consent, I felt I would be violating the memory of my friends and that I would be stealing their souls. We wondered whether we were going mad even to contemplate such a thing. Had we turned into brute savages, or was this the only sane thing to do? I'm getting deja vu right now, and I don't like it. Also, remember, these guys are all Roman Catholic, so again, multiple sides are considering to get to the point where they could do this. I mean, even a non-religious person would. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying, like, there's there's extra layers on top of this. Yeah, that's what I'm... 
That's what I'm saying. As I'm, again, they took a long time to consider to do this until they reached a point. I don't want to say they got used to the idea, but at a point when their brains weren't rejecting it anymore. Because even at the point of where you decide you're going to do this, it's still, I'm sure, is pretty hard to do the actual action of it. Yeah, but it's literally that or die. <laughs> a I agree. slow, painful death. I agree. I'm just saying lots of things I have to deal with to get to that point. Yeah. These are also friends and close family, not strangers. True. Do you think it'd be easier if it was a stranger? Oh, yeah. I bet it would be 100% easier if it was a stranger. That's fair. Or someone you had a pact with, like you. Yeah. Our deal's different. <laughs> I gave consent. <laughs> In the end, two of the group, Nando Parado and Roberto Canessa, took the super dangerous journey to make their way down the mountains to try to find help for them. Now, again, remember, two months after it initially crashed, so even with the choices they made, still pretty emaciated and not in good shape. It took them two months. Well, no, the trip down didn't take two months, but again, like, it no, was, like it took they them were up two there months. 70 days, and it took them 10 days to get down. Two months of staying up there? The first thing I would do is go find help. I think they thought they would get rescued a lot sooner than that. And then there were so many other things that happened to them up there, including an avalanche, that just, it took a while to get to that point. I would have been down the mountain real quick. I'd be like, no one's coming to find us. All right, we're going up. We're finding What happened to our pact? Yeah, you can eat me if we don't survive, like, finding help. You can't eat me the first time, like, one thing goes bad. (laughs) I do highly recommend anyone who wants the full detail of what they went through to read the book alive. It is pretty hard to read some of it, not because of the subject we're necessarily talking about, but just about what they went through emotionally, physically, yeah, the trauma, all that good stuff. They also have a movie based on it as well that I have not yet watched. Cool. I have fun facts. Oh boy. What are these fun facts? I wanted to see the last time someone ate another person. Okay. And... I found some fun facts. In December of 2019, a 25-year-old hairstylist from Michigan, from here, was um, was found hanging... Okay, so... Let's not get into too many details. Well, <laughs> let's just say that he cut off and ate someone's balls. So, and also it says that they met on Grindr, so, like, everyone stay away from dating apps. Dating apps lead to cannibals. And I actually, on my first... We're not saying that, actually, but... That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I actually, I did a story when I had my first podcast about this lady who killed her husband and, like, cooked him and, like, tried to feed him, feed his kids, their father. Eat up, kids. If you actually want to check out an actual true po- crime podcast, I do recommend Malice After Midnight. They're an indie podcast that just started, mm. but they have some solid episodes, including The Thanksgiving Butcher, which is weird and fits right into the genre that we're talking about right now. But I don't want to spoil it. Wait, isn't that the lady you just talked about? Also, I recommend, and that's why we drink. Have you ever heard of them? Ugh, they're so good. If you guys are listening at all, I love you guys. Their podcast is great. They do paranormal and true crime, and they level it out really well, and their episodes are nice and long for people who have to commute. Also, drop by our website for photos and recommended source material for further study at yesitactuallyhappened.com, where you can also find links to support our show and get access to bonus material and contact us for any questions or ideas, and make sure you give Jay's high school author and wannabe a listen as well. Also, I'm starting a new, not podcast, but kind of podcast, where me and three of my friends are going to be talking about the queer experience 
experience and answering questions and helping people like find resources and stuff. So it's called Spilling the Tea and you can find me on Jay is an Astronaut on Twitch. Okay, thank you. Thank you again for listening and stay tuned to our next episode, which will come out next week and feature the Eiffel Tower for our Paris and French listeners. Ooh. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 